Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Okay, so we're in our series, um, Daring to Grow, Unlocking 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And this is the third week of our series. Uh, The first week, Mark did an introduction series. He was looking at the first chapter um, about the God of comfort, the God of all comfort. And he was challenging us as to where where do we get our comfort from? Where do we get our confidence from? Where do we get our identity and our hope from? We can so easily put it in the wrong things. And he was saying, you know, you need to get it from the God of all comfort. And then last week, Deborah did an amazing message, didn't she? Um, On uh, kind of not focusing on the the mountains, on the difficulties, on the challenges that are before us, but keeping our eyes fixed on the one who sees beyond the mountain. And it was a brilliant message. If you haven't heard either of those messages, I would absolutely recommend you download the podcast and listen to them. Uh, So... Daring to grow, the idea being that we hold in our hands the keys and the principle and the potential to grow as followers of Jesus. Okay, we hold the keys in our hands. We just have to put certain principles uh, into practice. And it ties in with our values, which is where the word daring comes from. Uh, we know we have six values and each of the letters of the word daring uh, relates to one of the, one of the six values. Um, Today, we're going to be looking at daring to forgive. Okay, daring to forgive. Now, forgiveness is something that we all experience. Okay, we either need to ask people for forgiveness because we mess up, or we need to offer forgiveness when people offend us or hurt us. Because people around us will invariably do things that we need to forgive them for. Um, uh, John... 16, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you're going to have trouble. And we all know that uh, people are the greatest source of trouble, right? Yeah, people are the greatest source of trouble. Where there are people, there is trouble. The moment that you are in relationship with people, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have difficulties And those, you're going to have those mountains that Deborah spoke about last week. And the truth is, the deeper in relationship you are with them, the deeper trouble they can cause you. Just ask my wife. (laughs) Some people, though, they seem to bring more trouble than others. It's like it's their life's mission to rain trouble down on us. And I'm not just talking about my children. Okay, although that is definitely there. So many times I have decided to become a hermit and live in a cave with my iPad. Um, But people say and they do things that offend us and they hurt us. And it's like everything they do is, is a weight on us. And these things just build up and they grow and they get heavier and heavier until we can't take it anymore and we explode. We need to learn what to do with these hurts. We need to learn what to do with these offences so they don't build up. One thing we can't do is ignore them. We can't ignore them and hope that they go away. Jeremiah chapter 6 
uh, verse 14 says, My people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, It's not so bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just fine. He's talking about that. He's saying, you know, you can't just put a band-aid on it. It's not so bad because things just build up inside. And again, David in Psalm says, I kept very quiet, but I became even more upset. I became very angry inside. And as I thought about it, my anger burned. If we don't deal with those hurts and those offences, the anger just builds up inside. We can't just ignore these feelings. We can't just park them at the back of our mind and think that they're going to dissipate by themselves. We might look okay on the outside, but inside there's turmoil. Inside, it's fizzing up. Maybe you've been in a conversation with someone when they suddenly explode (laughs) over a really small thing. You think, why on earth would they get angry over that? Why on earth would they get angry over that, over that small thing? And actually what's going on is there's something, it's been building up for a long, long time and there's stuff in there that hasn't been dealt with. Now this looks perfectly normal, right? On the outside, you'd never know. If somebody walked in the door now, a visitor, and they hadn't seen me do what I just did with it, and I said, oh, here you are, have a can of Coke. That'd be a pretty mean thing to do, wouldn't it? Because we all know what's going to happen when they open it. I'm not going to open that, by the way. We can't ignore the hurt that people give us. Now, it could be there's a specific person that you're thinking about right now. Somebody that really gets your goat, that winds you up. There's that one person. It could be that that person is in this room. I want you to look at them and give them a dead eye. No, no, don't. Don't do that. That's not going to help. Actually, most of you are looking at me. I don't know why. So one of the first and most effective things that we can do with these hurts is to forgive. So our topic today is daring to forgive, learning to grow in forgiveness, because this is something that we can get better at. It's something we can practice, and so it becomes a way of life. Um, This morning, I was at the gym. I'm just going to drop that in there. And I was on the... I was on the cross training machine. It's, it's, it's a good machine because it's, it's like running, but it's, it's low impact. It doesn't hurt my knees like running does. So I'm, I'm on the cross training. And I look her over and I see somebody on the same machine, but they start to go backwards on the machine. And I think, oh, I could have a go at going backwards on the machine. And so I've been going for 20 minutes forwards and it's all going well. And I start to go backwards. And after 10 seconds, my legs are in agony. It's because I'm using muscles that I've never used before. And I didn't even know there was muscles there. And it was really painful. And after 30 seconds, I have to stop and go forwards again. It's a stupid idea. I don't know why why you do that. But we need to exercise muscles. These things that we're not used to doing. And that's like forgiveness. Maybe it's something that you're not used to doing. Is is, uh, exercising and practicing Forgiveness of people, but you hold on to those hurts. We can exercise it and we can get better at it. And learning to hand over these hurts and these offences to God, to simply let them go and letting him replace them with better emotions like peace and joy and forgiveness. I heard a story of a lady who, um, she had a parrot. And this parrot was, uh, it was a chatty parrot, but it was always giving her abuse. 
Oh, you're ugly. You're ugly. I hate you. You're rubbish. You're rubbish. You can't do anything. You're stupid and you're fat and ugly. And I hate you. And this parrot was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, just giving constant abuse to this, to this lady. In the end, the lady got so fed up that she grabbed the parrot off the perch. She opened the freezer and she put the parrot inside and closed the door. And she sat there watching. And for the first few seconds, the parrot was carrying on. Oh, I hate you. You're rubbish. You're stupid. And eventually, the parrot went quiet. And the lady's standing there watching. And she, she starts to feel a twinge of guilt. Oh, no, what have I done? Maybe I shouldn't have done that. And so she, she waits for a minute. And then she opens the freezer and takes the parrot out and puts it back on its perch. And the parrot's just looking head down. She says, I'm sorry. She says, I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. I'll never call you names. I'm really sorry. I'll be a good parrot from now on. And the lady says, that's okay. I forgive you. Just don't do it again. And then the parrot says, I just have one question. And he looks over to the freezer. What did the chicken do? (laughs) So, as part of this Daring to Grow series... We're working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians. This is Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthian church. It's his fourth letter. Now, we know he wrote four. We only have two. Um, Two of them have been lost along the way. We have two of the letters, but we know he wrote four because of what he says in the other two letters. Now, Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth was a was a complex one. It was complicated. And I've drawn a little diagram, which I'm hoping will kind of explain it. So he spends 18 months in Corinth um, talking to believers and events planting the church there. But then he has to carry on his missionary journey. So he, he leaves the church and he goes away. Um, and um, he hears, though, about 18 months later, he hears that things aren't going too well. They're having a few issues in the church, a little bit of division. So he writes his first letter to them. Now, this is one of the letters that we don't have. Uh, he writes his first letter and, um, you know, trying to explain to them the way they should live and the way they should uh, talk to each other and relate to each other. But then they write a letter back to him. We don't have that letter either, but they uh, kind of express some confusion about um, certain matters of life and theology. And in the letter that they write to him, they reveal quite a lot of um, problems about how they're living their lives. So Paul writes another letter. This is his second letter, but that's the one we have that we know as the first, first Corinthians. Now in this letter... Um, He challenges them and he offers counsel and direction and he corrects some of their patterns of behaviour. But it appears that they don't take this on board. They don't take his advice. Because when Paul sends Timothy to visit them shortly after writing that that second letter, Timothy finds them in a worse way than ever. Okay, Things going on. uh, There's dissension and there's um, uh, problems in the church and distortion of the truth that Paul has taught them. So Paul immediately goes back to Corinth. He immediately goes there. This is where we've got the sad face there. And this is what he calls his painful visit because he's trying to put them right and get them back on the right path. But they don't, they don't like it. That direct confrontation, confrontation seems to make things worse. And at the start of the, the fourth letter, he says, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you because that first visit had been so painful. And it seems that the church not only rejects Paul... Uh, And he's teaching, but they choose to follow other people who oppose Paul. Um, So he doesn't stay there long. He moves away, but he writes them a third letter. And this is another letter that we don't have, um, the third letter. And 
Uh, about this letter, Paul writes later on, he says, I write this letter out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. There's a real issue going on there and he's trying to get it right and he's so sad and he's upset because this is the church that he's planted there, his family. And this letter, this third letter, does have some positive effect but there are still some false apostles who are undermining Paul and making it difficult for him to minister. And it's into that context that he writes his fourth letter which is what we have as 2 Corinthians, and that's what we're working through. So we're, uh, we're up to chapter 2, and we're going to start just at verse 1 in chapter 2 today. So this is Paul. He's saying to the church, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So Paul knows all about trouble and hurt that people cause. Paul knows all about the offence that people can cause and that having relationship with people um, means that you're going to end up in sometimes. Um, So he begins to talk about a specific person in the church who seems to have been cause of some of the issues. Uh, Let's just carry on from verse 5. Now regarding the one who started all this, the person in question who caused all this pain, I don't want to come down too hard. What the majority of you agreed as punishment, is punishment enough. Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him in it. My counsel now is to pour on the love. The fact is that I'm joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. After all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. So anyone who's been around church for any length of time has probably heard at some point a message about forgiveness, uh, about you know, turning the other cheek and, and all that. But I, I guess I want to stress this morning how crucial this actually is. If you want to live a God-centered life, if you want, if you want your life to be, to, to be free and to be on the right trajectory, then forgiveness is absolutely uh, crucial for that. We all know about the Apostle Peter. Peter is somebody who was desperate to get it right, to get, you know, living the kingdom life right. And because of that, he often puts his foot in it and says the wrong thing. And there's one time when Jesus is talking to um, his disciples about forgiveness and about unity and about restoration. And Peter uh, kind of chimes in. He says, so Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Seven times? Now, he's, what Peter's done there, he's, he's taken the, the kind of rabbinic teaching of the day, uh, which was that you forgive somebody three times. The general accepted teaching at that time was you, you forgive somebody who, who messes up with you. You can forgive them three times, but come the fourth time, that's it. Okay? And what Peter's done, he's, he's kind of doubled it. And then he's added one for good measure. He thinks, oh man, I'm really going to nail this. Jesus is going to be so pleased with me. I've said seven times. But we all know. What Jesus answered, he says, not seven times, but 77 times. Or, in some translations, 70 times seven. And what Jesus is saying essentially is, actually, Peter, it's unlimited. There isn't a number. There's not a time when when, when you actually don't need to forgive anymore. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. And it's a reply that's based not on law and not on justice, but on the grace on the gospel of grace that we know Jesus was um, uh, talking about. 
We need to forgive times without number. And Jesus doesn't leave it there um, because he knows that what he said is, is actually quite a challenging concept. It's a backwards concept. It's a, it's a concept that kind of goes against the general accepted practice of the day. So he goes to explain it a bit further in the same chapter in Matthew 18. He, he, he then goes into a parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant, which I'm sure, again, most of us will know this. It's a man who owes a king 10,000 talents. Now, one talent is 20 years wages. So 10,000 talents is 200,000 years wages. This was about the highest number that they would use in their language at the time, which is why Jesus said it. 200,000 years wages he owes the king. An impossible sum. And um, the king says, you've got to pay. And the servant we know begs for mercy. And the king says, okay, um, I'm going to release you from the debt. Uh, He cancels the debt and he lets him go. Um, But then we know how the servant goes on his way and remembers another guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, one denarii is one day's wages. So 100 denarii is about three months' wages. Three months' wages versus 200,000 years' wages. And he says to the guy, you owe me 100 denarii, you need to pay it now, and the guy can't pay, so he puts him in prison. And we know that the king hears about it and uh, makes this statement. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. One of the first principles of forgiveness is to understand the magnitude of the debt that we have been forgiven. To understand that magnitude. We need to have a true and proper perspective of ourselves and the debt that we owed. Um, The debt of sin that has been wiped clean. It's beyond imagining. And it's crucial that we put whatever offences or hurt that we are carrying into the shadow of the forgiveness that God has offered to us. We've got to compare the two. We've got to, we've got to put them next to each other and go, actually, look, there's no, there's no point in me holding on to that. Look what I've been forgiven. When Jesus says, he who has been forgiven much loves much, he who has been forgiven little loves little, he's not actually talking about the amount you've been forgiven because we've all been forgiven so much. We've all been forgiven an impossible amount. It's about the amount that we realise. It's about the amount that we take on. But actually, once we realise that amount that we have been forgiven, we all, we've all been forgiven much. And so we end up loving much. <coughs> now, the, the debt that the, the man had to the king, he, says, he said he was put in prison until he could, should pay back all he owed. <coughs> How on earth could he pay back 200,000 years of wages in one lifetime? There's not a chance. It's an eternity thing. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across. To pay back all you owed, you can't do it. You just can't do it. And so you've got to be forgiven that debt. And in order to be forgiven that debt, you've got to learn to forgive. As we read the word, as we grow in our faith, as we grow in our discipleship, as our relationship with God deepens, as we relinquish, relinquish control of our own lives, 
and learn to trust in the one whose motives for us are 100% pure, we begin to see ourselves as we truly are. And it's interesting to see how, how Paul's perspective of himself um, changed over time. Um, there's various passages in, in, in Scripture that, where Paul talks about himself. Um, this was written in 48 AD, the, the, the letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 10. Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ. That's quite low, quite low on the rung of the ladder there. He says, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ. But look how he refers to himself seven years later in 1 Corinthians. He says, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not just a servant. I'm actually the least of the apostles. And then five years after that, he writes to Ephesians and he says, I am less than the least, not just of the apostles, but of all the Lord's people. Can you see what's going on here? His, his uh, knowledge of himself is on this downward trajectory. And then finally, four years after that, he writes to Timothy and he says to himself, sorry, he says to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So he goes from being a servant of Christ to the least of the apostles, to the least of all the Lord's people, to the worst sinner. <laughs> to the worst sinner. This is Paul's opinion. As he, as he realised who he was before God, he understands his debt. He understands his... Um, what he owed. He understands the level of forgiveness that God has given to him. And this is not about kind of that false humility or the false humility of a worm. That's not what I'm talking about. It's having a true and proper perspective of what God has done for us. And we know that because we have this understanding of of ourselves like that, God raises us up. God raises us up. Paul's identity more and more became in line with not how people saw him, but how God saw him and what God had done for him. And the same should be true of us. The best way we can live our lives is to understand the depth of God's forgiveness and mercy for us. And that, in turn, will underpin our forgiveness of anybody else as we understand his forgiveness of us. Remember, to forgive others um, is not just a choice. It's essential for a kingdom life. It's so important that Jesus actually slotted it into the prayer that he taught us to pray, didn't he? We sang that this morning, our Father in heaven. We know the Lord's prayer. But part of the Lord's prayer is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us our trespasses, whatever the word is. It means the same thing. And this is the only part of the Lord's prayer that you know, Jesus says the whole prayer. And then he goes on to talk further about forgiveness. Because it's so important. Um, he says, uh, this is in Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And again, it's, it says it all over scripture about, you know, you forgive just as God forgave you. But another, version, uh, another verse, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If you aren't able to forgive those who have caused offence to you, you will never understand God's forgiveness for you. You won't be able to accept it. It won't make sense to you if, unless you've learned to forgive. There's a, um, a Grace, uh, our youngest daughter. She has two soft toys. Uh, there's a, a little 
lamb that she calls Lammy. And she's got a flamingo that she calls Bamango. Don't ask, I don't know. Um, and for a while, she would cling to these toys and she would walk with them everywhere, take them everywhere she went, going for a walk, and she would have them and she would just cling on to them like this. And if you would try and give, give her something, even if it was a treat, she'd try and hold onto the toys and try and grab the treat. And she couldn't do it and she'd end up dropping the treat, you know, ice cream or whatever, because she's too busy clinging onto these toys. And that's what we do. If we, if we cling on to the hurts and offences and unforgiveness, we can't accept the forgiveness that God has for us. You can't receive forgiveness if you hold on to unforgiveness because it won't make sense to you. You'll never understand. You won't understand it. It won't make sense. So let's go back to what Paul says about forgiveness in our passage today. Uh, In verse 6, he says this, what the majority of you agree to as punishment is punishment enough. Because forgiveness is not a lack of punishment. It's not a lack of consequences. It doesn't mean that somebody gets off scot-free. There sometimes does need to be a consequence. You only have to ask my children to know that I believe in that um, when they mess up. But forgiveness is not about that. There sometimes needs to be a consequence. And sometimes even restitution has to be made for an offence. But I think sometimes that we use unforgiveness as a punishment. We hold on to unforgiveness thinking, this way I'm going to really hurt them. It doesn't work like that. Unforgiveness is a worse kind of punishment. It's lousy. It doesn't work. It hurts you more than it hurts them. Unforgiveness makes a lousy punishment. It makes a lousy consequence. Unforgiveness beads bitterness. And it doesn't just affect you. It affects those around you. In Hebrews 12, um, it, it said, the writer says, see that no bitter root grows up among you uh, to cause trouble and defile many. We know that unforgiveness leads to bitterness and it just sits there inside you. Uh, Bill Hybel says, um, if you're using unforgiveness as a punishment, it's like trying to kill a rat by eating rat poison. Like trying to kill a rat by eating rat poison. And another theologian, Lewis B. Smead, says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I love that. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you. So Paul is saying, enough is enough. Um, he says, now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. Now is the time to forgive. Don't wait a while. Don't put it off. Don't hold on to it any longer. Do it now. This is not something you can put off until tomorrow. There's, there are some things in life that we go, okay, I've got a decision to make. I'm just going to chew over it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to uh, live with it for a few days before I act on it. Forgiveness is not one of those things. Forgiveness is something you deal with now. It's an immediate thing, okay? If you're holding on to those hurts and offences, we have to let go of it. We have to forgive and we have to do it now. Romans 12, uh, verse 19 to 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And isn't this awesome? We think, yeah, this is great. I don't have to take revenge because God's going to do it. And so um, we think, okay, God, I'm going to forgive them, but I want you to smite them. God, show them your wrath. God, smite them, oh mighty smiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's not what he's talking about here, okay? We don't get to say, oh, I forgive them, but God, sort it out. Um, it doesn't work in that way. That's not, what, that's not what's going on here. Because the passage goes on. Uh, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And again, as a child, I was thinking, well, that's awesome. I get to be kind to them, but God's going to set their hair on fire. <laughs> that's a great deal. I like that. Um, does that sound like the God of grace? It's just not. That's not what he's talking about. This is a saying, and, it, and it's a saying that was, I guess was popular at the time. It's not one we use now, but it means... Uh, they will repent. This person will, will, will change the way that they're living. They will turn around and they will live a new life. If you do these things, if you feed your enemy, if you give him a drink when he's thirsty, then you're actually going to change the situation for the better. You're going to change the way he lives. Doing good will actually bring a change of heart and attitude. That's what this is about. And if you're struggling to forgive someone, then... Actually, praying is a really good thing to do. Uh, it's probably a good start. In the Sermon on the Mount, um, sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, "You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy." That's the world's way. That's the human way. That's the way that's kind of hardwired into us. Love your friend, love your neighbour, but hate your enemy. But Jesus says, uh, "I tell you, love your enemies." And pray for those who persecute you. Now, we don't mind praying. Uh, but if you're like me, then sometimes our prayers are uh, along the lines of, look, God, I don't know what to do about this situation, but this person needs a personality transplant. God, this person uh, needs to know just how wrong they are. God, Lord, show them. Uh, show them. Let them feel the hurt that I feel. And actually, that's not how we pray either. Whenever I sit down thinking I'm going to pray in a situation for a particular person, God always turns it around back to me and he, make, and he gets, no, 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 you pray for a change of your heart. You pray for a change in your, uh, in your way of looking at it. You pray for a change in the way that you're dealing with them. That's how we approach it. Pray for them. Pray for them. It says, Love your enemies, pray for those. Pray blessings on them. Pray that good things happen to them. And watch how he changes our heart in the process. We can't let our anger over a situation get the better of us. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Because anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now I think we have misinterpreted this verse a little bit and we kind of use it as a marriage counselling device often you know you've had an argument with your wife at the end of the day you're lying in bed and you think oh I can't let the sun go down while I'm still angry with my wife so we need to talk it through and actually that's probably not a bad thing to do but that's not what this verse is talking about you're not always in bed with the person who made you angry (laughs) you're just not right Um, and so at the end of the day 
Um, uh, what is he talking about? It actually means take it to God. Okay, that's the first thing we have to do. Take it to God. Um, give your hurt and your anger over to him. Ask him to do a work in you. Ask him to um, do a work in you. And this is how we stop the devil getting a foothold. That word foothold is actually uh, uh, translated, uh, means a comfortable place. Because he will. He'll set up shop and it'll feel comfortable. It'll feel like a comfortable thing because it's human weight. It's, it's normal. It's, you know, and we have to learn to do that backwards, that backwards motion, that thing that goes against, that uses new muscles. It's a, it's a diff- different way of thinking. And not giving the devil a foothold is really important. People are going to do things to make us angry. We don't lose our capacity for emotions when we uh, give our lives to Jesus. We just don't. What, but one of the best ways to overcome anger is to forgive. And you might say, yes, Adam, but you don't know. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the hurt that this person has caused me. Adam, you don't know the pain and anxiety over the months and years that this person has put in my life. They don't even seem sorry for what they've done to me. They don't even seem remorseful at all. You know what? Jesus knew all about that. Jesus knew all about that. Remember what Jesus suffered on his way to the cross and then on the cross. And remember what he said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They hadn't shown remorse. They were still abusing him physically and with words. They were still laying it on him. And he's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done. He's not asking us to face something that he hasn't faced. He's faced far worse than we have to face. Any story of true forgiveness has a heap of pain behind it. A few years ago, a long time ago actually, about 16 years ago before our kids were born, somebody did something to me. One of the most painful things. In fact, the most painful thing of my life. Now, I've lived, a, I've lived a really blessed life. I'm not asking for pity here. I've had an amazing life. You know, I've got a great family, you know, great life. Everything's kind of gone well for me. I, I am totally blessed, and I get that. But this, 16 years ago, I was shattered by something that somebody did on purpose to me. And, and I found out on, on, on an evening, and I was with, I was with Fru at the time, and the following morning, I phoned the guy up uh, who was out the country. He was in a different, different country. And I phoned him up and I said, I know what you've done. And I just want to tell you, I forgive you. And I mean, he broke down and then I, I just, I ended the call. And did I feel better straight away? No, I didn't. It took time. But you'll never convince me that that phone call wasn't the thing that started the healing process. Saying the words, and I meant it, I meant it, but the actual healing process then takes time. Had I held on to it, had I held on to that, I may not be healed of it even now, because time doesn't heal. Time doesn't heal. Something like this, time just makes the bitterness grow stronger. Time ravages. Okay. Forgiveness heals. Letting go of your anger and hurt, that heals. 
But people say, well, as soon as, as, soon as that person is remorseful <laughs> or as soon as I don't feel angry anymore or when they say sorry, I'll forgive them. I'm afraid that's backwards again. Or maybe that's forwards and we need to go backwards. Yeah? That's not right. It's not the way it works. We forgive and we let God heal us and do the changing work in them because both things will happen. Okay? We don't forgive them in order that God changes them. We forgive them because it's the right thing to do and God can heal us then. But at the same time, he will change situations and he'll change their heart too. We might say, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. I can't forget. I can forgive, but I can't forget. And I'm not sure that's the attitude that's needed either, if I'm honest. I'm often amazed at people's capacity to remember things that have been done to them. Again, I heard a story of a couple where the man had messed up, um, but he apologised and he put it right and they made up. However, every so often his wife would, would bring it up again and again. And he got to the point where the man says, why do you keep bringing it up? I thought you believed in, I thought your policy was, was forgive and forget. And she says, it is, but I don't want you to forget that I've forgiven and forgotten. <laughs> what does God say about his forgiveness? He says, their sins I will remember no more. Their sins I will remember no more. I will remember no more. God chooses to forget as well as forgive. In my experience, when we truly choose to forgive offences against us, the Holy Spirit will help us to let go of them and forget them. By God's grace, a Christian can so forgive that every memory brings not bitterness, but peace and an an amazement at what God's done. In today's passage, as an aside, just as an aside, Paul makes this statement in verse 10. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ. It's like Paul has already forgotten. He's like, you know, there was definitely something. I'm sure there was something back there that they did. If I had to forgive, if there was anything to forgive. It's like he's already gone from his mind. Um, and that's what happens when we, when we forgive, we hand it over to God. The Holy Spirit can do that same work in us. If you cling to offences, if you turn them over over in your mind, they will continue having a bad effect on you and they will give the offender the power to harm your life. Tom Wright, the writer, he says, forgiveness is a two-way street. By releasing the other person from guilt, you release yourself from being crippled by their actions. Forgiveness is actually scientifically proven to reduce anger, hurt, depression and stress. And it's proven to lead to feelings of hope, of peace, of compassion, of self-confidence, of healthy relationships, of physical health and a better attitude. Who wants those things? That sounds good, right? The final reason for forgiveness then is given in the the final verse from today's passage in verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Satan, the accuser, he's got schemes, he's got plans. He can use the hurts and offences that are against us to outwit us. He can get into that comfortable place, he can get a foothold if we don't forgive. He's prowling around like a, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And make no mistake, unforgiveness will devour us and he will be outwitting us. When you forgive someone who wrongs you, 
you resist Satan. You demonstrate your faith and you leave yourself open to receive forgiveness from God and to accept that forgiveness. This leads to many blessings. David in Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. So there's a, you forgive others, your sins are forgiven. You have that blessed life, okay? It follows, one follows the other. This is blessed, a blessed life. When he's talking about blessings, it's not just talking about kind of happiness. Happiness is, is generally uh, regarding on your circumstances, about what happens to you. That's where the word happiness comes from, about what happens. But actually, it's a deeper joy. It's an internal joy um, that nothing can shake. And it's a peace that nothing can rattle. I heard a story of a guy, a Spanish guy, and his son, a father and son who became estranged. Uh, can, you, can you guys come up, the, the worship team? They became estranged. They had a fallout. They had an argument. They weren't able to forgive each other. And they, they fell out. And in the end, the son, he left home. He ran away. And the father, he searched for months and months and months for his son. But he couldn't find him. He looked everywhere, high and low. He called all his son's friends, but he couldn't find his son. And in desperation, he... He took out an ad in the local newspaper. And on this advert, he wrote, Dear Paco, that was the son's name, meet me in front of this newspaper office at at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed, your father. On that Saturday, this is a true story, more than 800 Pacos turned up at the newspaper office looking for forgiveness and looking for love from a father they had fallen out with. And I think that's us. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus is is, is waiting there, wanting to forgive. He's already paid the price that needs to be paid. He's ready to love. He's, He's waiting with open arms, ready to accept you when you come back. We're all in this boat. There's nobody that doesn't need forgiveness. We're all the same. Um, and we all need to practice forgiveness. And I, I would have it that every single one of us would leave here today free. I would have it that every single one of us would leave today free. Now, it may be that you're not holding offence against anybody, and that's brilliant, that's great. But if you are, if you are, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And we're going to bring it to God. And we're going to hand it over to God. And we're going to ask God to do a work in us. To do a healing work in us. And bring about that blessed life that he's got for us. Father God, let's all bow our heads. Father God, you know, you know me, you know me well, you know all of us God, you, before we were even born, you numbered our days God, and every day was before you, you knew the circumstances and difficult challenges we were going to face. You knew the people we would be in contact with and the, and the hurt and the offences that they would cause us, God. 
Not only did you know it, you did something about it. And Father, we bring these situations, these circumstances before you. And just like Fred, Fred's were today, we, we lay them at the foot of the cross. The cross where you, where you suffered and forgave. God, where we have suffered in a small way, we also forgive. God, we, we accept the, the cancellation of that debt that you gave to us. And we acknowledge it's a debt that we could never pay. And in light of that, we extend forgiveness to that person or those people who have hurt us. God, bring about healing in our lives. Bring about a peace and a joy that the world's way just won't give us. That forward momentum, that thing, that way that's hardwired in us, we know that that doesn't actually lead to life. That's the way that the, the devil outwits us because he said, oh, we should do what the world is doing and we know we shouldn't. We should do the backwards thing. God, we give it over to you and we say we're sorry for holding on to it and we accept the cleanliness, God. We accept your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to sing a song now. Let's all stand together.